You might want to pray for 1040 Connections. We're going to hear about their ministry in just a moment. Uh, Leslie Neal, who went to Sanford, and her husband Chad, uh, they work in the 1040 window, which many of you all know about. They work a lot with battling human trafficking. I didn't know this, but Brian and uh, Skip Gilbert were there in 2006. They arrived just after a friend of theirs was basically martyred for her faith. And uh, they'll talk about it a little bit on the video here in just a few minutes. Hello, people of Brookwood. Hi. We're glad to be with you today. My name is Chad. My name is Leslie. And we're the co-founders and co-directors of 1040 Connections. If you hear the word 1040 in the title, you probably know that we work in the 1040 window. Hopefully you're familiar with that area of the world. It's 10 degrees to 40 degrees north latitude, runs across North Africa, Middle East, India, China area, has half the world's population and about 90 to 95% of the world's unreached people groups. As the directors of the organization, we work in South Asia and East Asia, and we're now living, and right now we're filming from Chiang Mai, Thailand. This is where we're basing in order to direct that work in those other areas of Asia, and we're trying to open up new work in Southeast Asia. So we're living in a city now that within just a few hours of a plane trip, we can be surrounded by 75% of the world's unreached peoples. Just right outside on our street, we spend a lot of time at Christmas telling the true meaning of Christmas, and not one person in a major city, the second largest city of Thailand, had understood the meaning of Christmas. So what is 1040 Connections? What do we do? We have a desire that every ethnic group, every village, have an opportunity to hear the message of Jesus, to experience the truth and the power of Jesus, and then multiply the hope of Jesus within their own contexts. And we do that by seeking to equip believers, to connect and collaborative work believers, and to engage in word and deed ministries. I believe in 2006 is the first time that a team from Brookwood came to where we were. It was in India. and It's a great team. It was a great team. Kurt, Kurt Stokes, Brian Pitts, Skip Gilbert, and Alan Long were four guys from Brookwood who came out in that was 11 years ago. Can you believe the it? men and I. It was, it was all the guys and Leslie. It was great. We had a great time. It was actually a very encouraging time for us because just right around that time, one of the young ladies that we'd been discipling for a couple years was killed for her faith in India because she refused to marry uh, a Hindu background she boy. She was only 18 years old and she was killed for her faith. Yeah, yeah. And Brookwood showed up right after we had right. gotten this devastating news and we were really in a bad, not a bad place, but in a place of great sadness and just stricken with grief. And so you know, ways, you know so. these guys and they brought a lot of joy and laughter to our family. And since that time, Brookwood has been a great blessing to us, not only financially, but also your prayers. We've also had board members come out of Brookwood Baptist Church, David Guin and Tim Davis and Skip Gilbert and Kurt Stokes. And we do and then as a Sanford graduate, Dr. Oh, Barnett yeah, yeah. has been influential. We've been in some of his classes at Sanford University. So there's a lot of connections. Stacy, um, she's the one that read a medical report of Phoebe when Phoebe was still in an orphanage in China. If we so, haven't mentioned our kids, we have Jolie, who's now 10, <laughs> baby Joy, who lives with Jesus. We had a miscarriage. We still count her. We have Eden Samuel, who's now seven, almost eight years old, and Phoebe, we adopted from China, and she is now four years old, and so that's who Stacy read over the, uh, the medical report when we got her filed. Yeah. So with Brookwood, when we started partnering with Brookwood, you just continued to add more dimension to our organization and um, the blessings, and God just continues to use you with our other partners to make a difference. 
Just in the past year, 364 new house churches that were formed. And we don't count the churches until there are 10 adult baptized. So we don't count if it's less than 10. We don't count children because there's so many of them. And we don't count attenders. We can only count baptized because a lot of people just show up and because there's something happening. We want you to know that in the year 2018, we're going to re-implement a strategy we used years ago. It's an advocate strategy where we equip a certain number of small, uh, not small people, but we equip a certain number of people within each church. Any size you could be, that's fine. <laughs> we don't count any tall or short, doesn't matter. You can work with children, youth, women, men, whatever. But what we're wanting, it's a mobilization strategy where we will tie in very deeply with a small community in the church who then tries to help the larger body of Christ be more that's involved right. in what God's doing among the unreal. So that's something coming up in summer 2018. We're hoping to get into churches to find those people and equip those um, advocates. And we're excited to see what God is going to do with your church as you choose to open your hands and open your time and open all of who you are in order to be fully committed to Jesus Christ and his passion and his mission for the world. So we thank you for your partnership and we look forward to, to increasing it and reaching more people with Jesus. And uh, thank you for joining hands with us and coming alongside. God bless you. God bless. Today's scripture reading comes from Joshua 4, 1 through 8, and 21 through 24, and it's found on page 153 and 154 in your pew Bible. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called them together, the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did the, to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the, people of, all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that... Your, you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. I pull out my phone ninja one more time because I don't know when I'll be able to say phone ninja again. So, uh, but I do like the fact that every time I pull this out to make a phone call, look at the time, look at the temperature, whatever, I can look at that and remember what the Above and Beyond campaign is about as far as doubling our missions budget for 2019, and I appreciate your attention to that uh, yourself. 
Uh, but what I want to do is even go further back and stop and remember not just this campaign that, that has us looking toward the future, but also looking back to the past, especially for people who have been here at Brookwood, who have been a part of our missional heritage, who, who, who gave a lot of themselves. Uh, we've talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer a lot lately. Uh, Bonhoeffer, uh, we're doing a Sunday school series and a, a lot of the adult Sunday school classes. I think it's called Above and Beyond Grace. Is that right? And uh, Jeff Roberts wrote it, our own Jeff Roberts, and it's just outstanding. I was reading something else about Bonhoeffer the other day, who's that great 20th century martyr who was killed basically by Hitler. Um, and he had a favorite book growing up called Heroes of Every Day, and it was all these snippets of stories about people, young people who gave of themselves, sometimes uh, gave their very lives, at the cost of their very lives, to reach out to people and rescue others. Shortly before his execution, uh, he read Plutarch's Lives, which was actually an ancient uh, book about ancient figures who gave of themselves selflessly. And in a way, I can't help but think, as he looked to these past people who gave of themselves, it strengthened him as he knew that his execution was coming along very soon. And I think about other people here at Brookwood who have given of themselves with a lot of self-sacrifice, those who have been so committed to us being a missional church. And, and, and I really was, I was going to mention some names and give like a litany of names who are like rock stars of mission work here. But the more I looked at uh, this long list of names, I thought there are too many, really. The, the, you know, the, the, I can't just pick out a few. And that says a lot about our missional heritage. But we need to stop and remember them and, and remember their spiritual contribution to you and me that we might not even be aware of. But how dangerous it is when you and I fall prey to, I would call, spiritual amnesia, and churches often do that, and it's very tragic. So this is why Joshua had the people construct a monument with stones that came out of the Jordan River. Miraculously, they, they crossed the Jordan River, just like uh, Moses and people had uh, some time before. But this time, with uh, Joshua, the riverbed uh, dried up, and they were able to cross, and Joshua said, we need to remember this deliverance. And he had people go back and collect stones, and they built a monument somewhere down the road a bit so that they would remember what God had done for them. And, and Joshua knew that later generations would need to know about this. They would not have been uh, back in Egyptian bondage, or they wouldn't have seen when the second time the Jordan River was dried up so they could cross. Uh, they wouldn't know about uh, how God was going to deliver them even in Jericho and other places further on. And so he said, let's build this monument so people will ask about it. He says twice in our passage, the children will say, what do these stones mean? Joshua knew that they needed to remember, and so do we. You know, we need to remember our own spiritual heritage here at Brookwood, and yes, our missional heritage as well. I think this is a great place. I was talking to somebody just this past week, and they said, y'all are real family-ish over there at Brookwood, and y'all are real sunny. They kept talking about how sunny we were, so we're sunny. Isn't that great? Uh, but in addition to that, uh, I said, well, another thing I really value is the great teaching, the biblical teaching we have here in our Sunday school classes and in our small groups, and I said, you know, the main thing we are, though, is missions. That is what we are about. So I want to talk about that part of our spiritual heritage that really points in that direction of missions. Uh, you might have an outline in your uh, handout there, and this, this is where I'm getting going with that, if you want to follow, but it'll be up on the screen as well. First of all, how should we remember our spiritual heritage? What does this scriptural text tell us about that? Well, first of all, we need to remember our heritage inclusively. Inclusively. All of us need to remember and value our 
heritage. Let's look at Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It said, When all the people had crossed Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Now, so they had 12 men, each one representing the entire tribe of Gad, Judah, uh, Benjamin, whatever it might be. He wanted everybody to be a part of this memorial activity of going out and getting these stones, bringing them back up, and building a monument down the road a bit. Uh, to glorify God, and he wanted everybody to be a part of it. So all of us need to always be celebrating our spiritual heritage, and that's what we're called to do. And if anyone who had gone here before in earlier years were to tell us, this is what we want you to do to honor us as, as saints of the church, they would say engage missionally. That's what they would say, whether it's uh, just over the mountain here or in uh, uh, South Africa or wherever it might be. Uh, I have never in my time here at Brookwood in what, I guess 23, going on 24 years, I've never heard anybody say that the experience they had on a mission trip or on a special ministry, local, whatever, was a negative experience. <laughs> I've never heard that. It's always been, oh, it was amazing, and we loved on these people. They loved, uh, we got more out of it than they did, and it was so transforming. That's been the way it's been every time. And so we can joyfully honor these folks who experienced the same kind of joy as they went out and did ministry as well. And I hope and pray that we will increase our participation, especially in 2019, as that is our goal, is to double not just the money, but the participation missionally. So hopefully we'll do that. Another way we need to remember our spiritual missional heritage is vividly, vividly. Joshua wanted this to be remembered in a really cool way. So let's, let's look at uh, verse 4 first of all, Joshua um, 4 verse 4, or excuse me, verse 3. He said, tell them take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. They were standing in the middle of that dry river, and uh, they were standing right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what more vivid a symbol would an Israelite want and be able to remember? They went right in front of where, where the priests were, who were right in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and they lifted up those stones. They wanted a powerful uh, image that, that, would, that, that you know, they could remember. It would pop, right? Isn't that what you say? Yeah, trying to be hip. Okay, but uh, uh, they said, you know, do this, and this way you will remember that image. Now, what I really think is cool, and I hadn't noticed this before, if you go to verse 23, Joshua describes this uh, for people in the future as if they are there. Just before this, it says, you know, so children, generations from now will say, what do these stones mean? And he says this, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. Well, wait a minute, the kids weren't there, but he wants you to be a part of it. He wants it told to you over and over as if you are there. For the Lord God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. You know what he's doing there? He's saying, I want you to remember this so well. I want it burned into your consciousness so much. I wanted you to know it in the depths of your soul so much that it was as if you were there. Fred Craddock uh, was taking a trip in Israel uh, about, I think it was 25 years ago or so, and he had a tour guide whose name was Jonah, and Jonah was driving this van, and Fre Fred was in the uh, front seat on the other side with him, and, and Jonah suddenly said, uh, when they were on the way back from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he said, hey, do you mind if we take the long way? And Fred said, sure. He said, I want to show you uh, something. And they drove a little ways, and they went to a very narrow road, and the guy, Jonah, pointed down, and he said, do you see down that hill there? Yeah. You see where those trees are that you can see that kind of rise up? He said, yeah. Well, there's a road down there. You can't see it from here, 
but uh, there's a road that leads kind of up into where the trees are. Now, our enemies, our enemies decided that we were going to come up that way when we were at war, and, and, and so we got word of that. And so we wound up going around and came down this way and came down the hill. There they were up in the trees, but we were actually higher than them. We had the height advantage, and we wound up just blistering them. In fact, he said we, we defeated those, and then he used a colorful terminology, but he said we defeated our enemies. And Fred Craddock said, now gosh, thinking about Jonah's age, Jonah must be talking about maybe the 1948 war that Israel was in or maybe the 1967 war. And so he said, Jonah, was that... 1948 or 1967, and Jonah said, oh, no, no, this was 167 B.C. He was like, what? He said, yeah, it was the Maccabean War. He said, oh, the one that was second century B.C.? He said, yeah, that's, that's when this happened, and, and we won. We defeated the enemy, and, and Fred Craddock said, Jonah, you say that as if you were there, and Jonah, with a very level gaze, looked at him and said, I was. That's what Joshua was talking about here. We need to burn into our consciousness the missional activities we've done here that are victorious. And I don't mean that in a triumphalist way. I'm just saying we, we've been so blessed to do this missional work and, and, and to be able to honor those who have been here with us, who have just challenged us, spurred us onward to get out there and do mission work. And we should remember them and the great ministries they've done worldwide as if we were there ourselves. Young people need to hear that, no doubt. Young people need to hear that. Well, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but finally, I want to say, how else do we honor our spiritual heritage? I would say conspicuously. Let me just put it that way, conspicuously. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. It says, The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. It's interesting, he wound up doing that in Gilgal, which was halfway, exactly halfway between the Jordan River uh, and uh, Jericho, where they knew they were going to have to fight a battle. It's interesting that he did that midway, and we'll go back to that. But again, he wanted them in a prominent place. That was a flat area, Gilgal. He knew that a lot of people would run into that. It was a common thoroughfare by desert standards. And so he knew that a lot of people would go by there and see that monument. And so the people would say, what do these stones mean? They wanted it in a prominent place. And no doubt those stones were, were, were rough. I mean, they had been on the bottom of a river. They were at a riverbed, so they were craggy and just real plain and simple looking. But I think about the, the people uh, who have gone before us here, many of whom are very simple people in the best sense of that word, and yet they are rock stars missionally, and I hope and pray that we will continue to honor them by doing our own simple mission work in whatever that might be. Okay, so we want to make ourselves conspicuous for the gospel, make the gospel conspicuous to other people. But let's move from the how to the why. Why do we do this? Why do we honor our spiritual heritage? Why do we honor our missional heritage? Well, first of all, we do it for the faith of our children, like I said a moment ago. We do it for the faith of our children. Why don't you look at Joshua 4, 6. It says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Pretty much repeats that. Go to verses 21 and 22. Same thing. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. They want the children to have the faith 
that they had. We did a baby dedication uh, in, the, in the first hour, a little McCord, and it was just great, and he was awesome. But I thought about him, and I thought about, you know, I hope and pray that we can be the family that, that we are called to be for him to raise him in the faith. And we do this for the sake of our children. 2014, major research project by the National Study on Youth and Religion And this is what they uh, did. They asked the question, what factors help Christian youth maintain their faith into adulthood? You could probably guess these, but but notice that this is based on empirical results. First of all, three factors. Number one, the young person's parents practice the faith in the home and in daily life, not just in public church settings. They lived it out throughout the course of the week, throughout the course of a given day. Secondly, the young person had at least one significant adult mentor or friend other than parents who practiced the faith seriously, had a mentor. And finally, the young person had at least one significant spiritual experience before the age of 17. And the study said a lot of that spiritual experience, though, probably has to do with one and two with parents who who really were living out the faith, and they saw that, they witnessed that, they were examples of that for the kids. And then there was a a non-family adult who was also a mentor to them and led them toward some kind of spiritual experience, maybe praying with them. Uh, And maybe because of them, they started joining a church and doing some small group stuff, and it was in a small group, or it was at a camp, it was at a retreat, wherever it might be. So in conclusion, the study said, unless there is a specific adult in a teenager's life who shows the teenager by example, and in the context of daily life, what the faith is about, the faith could be in danger. Uh, And this doesn't have to do with a camp or a program, a new program, anything like that. It has to do with people investing in, as people say today, pouring into younger people. It's not just the job of ministers to be the spiritual uh, 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 examples or mentors of one's kids. You're called to do that, no doubt. And young people so need this. And again, am I not correct that there are so many... Uh, diverse influences, many of them not good with youth today more than ever, and they have such accessibility to those? Are they not so vulnerable to those? I like the way Christina Summers, who's a Christian researcher, says it. She says, leaving children to discover their own values is like putting them in a chemistry lab full of volatile substances, saying, discover your own compound, kids. And I think that's fair. We are the young people's spiritual heritage if we're adults. They're looking at us, and we're going to be the heritage that they recall. We're going to be the living monuments that they see. We've got to pass this on to them in a way not only that glorifies God, but effectively helps nurture them in the faith. Now, why else remember our spiritual heritage? Secondly, for the faith of our nation, and I'm not just talking about America uh, in, in the Bible, it's talking about the nation, yes, of Israel, and we as the church of the new Israel. But I want you to look at Joshua 4, 7. It says, then you can tell them, you know, what do these stones mean? Well, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. We could insert the people of God, the people of the church forever. Now, I've done this before, but let me just, let's review the fifth command. Anybody remember what the fifth commandment is in the Ten Commandments? Well, there it is. You could say, oh, it's honor your father and your mother. Yeah, yeah, okay, cheater. Okay, honor your father and your mother. Well, that that part makes sense. Uh, uh, You know, honor your father and mother. Now, Now, are all of them worthy of honor? No, not all of them. Uh, what it's saying is honor the office of father and mother uh, when it's at its best, and it, when parents are in the best ways uh, of, of God's way, inculcating you know, our, our particular concerns and values and beliefs and that kind of thing. 
It's really more the office of parenthood. Okay, do that, but it's always the second part that kind of sometimes trips up people. Um, I learned it as honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This says honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, what does that mean? When I was a kid, I'll be honest. I thought it meant if I'm good to mom and dad, uh, I'll live a long life. Uh, and then I thought, no, that's not right. Well, maybe it's that one day, if I honor mom and dad, I will one day after I die, die go where? Heaven. But then I finally studied it, as I should, and I thought, oh, okay, it was originally addressed to, to whom? Individuals or an entire nation? It was addressed to an entire nation. So what is this saying? You know, if we were all to value and honor and practice parenthood and familyhood and all that, the way God wants us to, we as a nation will persevere longer. Doesn't that seem to make sense? What if everybody in our nation, it applies to all nations, what if everybody in America really was honoring mothers and fathers and and, and mothers and fathers were honoring the office that they represent and and living it out in a way that's pleasing to God? If everybody did that, don't you think America would have a better chance of surviving longer? Absolutely, that's what it's saying. Okay, and there are many things we need to do to persevere with that. (laughs) Can I just throw one out? Oh, and you'll hear from me more on this and. Please don't uh, shift uncomfortably in your seat uh, with what I'm about to say. But uh, I was reading some stuff by Tom Rayner recently. Tom is the head of Lifeway, president and CEO. Uh, Shared this article with the deacons at the last deacons meeting. We got another meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. I know you know. Uh, But bottom line, Tom Rayner, who's a specialist on church growth and church decline, wrote a powerful article that was entitled, The Number One Reason for Decline in Church Attendance. Well, it's not enrollment. It's not like, unfortunately, we're not declining in enrollment. About 90% of American churches are. We're not declining. We're we're hanging in there with that. But the number one factor in the decline in church attendance, well, it's it's members attending less frequently, okay? I'm not, not, you know, and y'all can look straight ahead. I'm not looking right at you or anything. But we all need to consider how we combat that. And I know we all have these commitments. I, I, I so get that. Uh, but we need to think about that. I have a friend now, becoming a good friend. He was a pastor right down the road here. He now works with me at Samford. And uh, just, just uh, finished being a pastor over there not long ago. And we were talking the other day, and he said, you know, we did this most intensive analytical study of church attendance at, at our church and he said it was, it was very involved, and it's, it's the most uh, involved one you can have anywhere. We had specialists come in. We wanted an outside source to talk about that. And what they found was that the average uh, church member attends once every four to seven weeks. Okay. I was like, wow, okay. And he said, you know what? We just joined a church over in the Shades Mountain area, much larger church, and guess what? We went through this new member training thing, and one of the first things they said is, our biggest concern is church attendance. And they said, yeah, we just had, and it was the same agency that came in and analyzed that church. And they said, yeah, we just want to be honest about the results. Um, The average member here attends once every four to seven weeks. (laughs) Same thing. So I say that to say it's, it's a... It's a universal issue in America's church. What are we going to do with that, though? And, and how do we continue to creatively honor our heritage and, and, and truly pour into young people the way we need to in a way that shows that this is very important to us? And y'all, there's no silver bullet to this. 
I don't think. But we need to talk about that, and we will be talking about that a good bit more. Uh, by the way, it did the studies, both of those studies showed that uh, older folks often are more committed, but then it, they might be able to do that given their more flexible schedule. But anyway, we'll talk more about that. Finally, why do we remember our spiritual heritage? We do it for the faith of the world. Joshua 4, 24 says what? He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful, so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Uh, it is fair to say we are in a broken world. We think of the, the shootings in uh, South Florida. We are in a, a, a world that needs a more positive future. What I really love about where Joshua had the Israelites place these memorials was in the city of Gilgal, really not even a city, just a small, small village, but it was halfway between, midway between the Jordan River where God did a miracle there, and Jericho, the city where they knew they were going to have to fight a battle, but they had no idea what it was going to be like, how it was going to turn out. And it's midway between there, and I think that's really cool. He, he put this wonderful memory right between what God had done and toward what God would do, even though they wouldn't be able to witness it yet. I think that's really cool that, that he did that, and I think that's the way we need to be thinking. If we were to honor the people who have been here before us, they would say, well, here's what you do. Don't worry about us. We're fine now, okay? Where we are, we're in great shape. No worries here. What you need to do is keep looking forward. Don't retreat. You know, it's interesting. After uh, God dried up the Jordan River, they crossed, and then it got undried again. You know, the Jordan opened up, but then it closed again. God is telling them no retreat keep moving forward. That's the ultimate way we can honor our missional heritage here is to keep looking forward. So I want to close. This is Psalm 78 verses 1 through 7, and I think it, it puts more succinctly than, than everything I've been saying uh, what we need to do in terms of remembering our heritage as church. So let me just read it. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your hearts to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors have handed down to us that we want to have burned into our consciousness. He will not hide these truths from our children. He will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. I'm talking about you and me. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let's pray together. Make us faithful, O God. And make us know what it takes to pass on that faithfulness. What we believe, how we minister, what our ultimate goal is, being on mission for your son Jesus and sharing his gospel with everybody. Letting folks know that the tomb really is empty and that there's reason to celebrate and there's reason to go and tell. Help us to honor whence we came as Brookwood Baptist Church, O oh God, and be all the more committed to a go above and beyond as we minister doubly to people, as we minister with great increase to give you the glory and, yes, to honor, honor your church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.